For the week of July 5th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. On the show this week, we talk with Crosscut City reporter David Croman about the right-wing editorials being pushed on Seattle station Como. You may have heard about this on John Oliver's Last Week Tonight. Then we talk with Indivisible Puyallup's Joe Colombo and Otto Rogers about a strategy they've hit upon to recruit and add new members to their Indivisible groups. Pretty cool. And I end on a few words about the 4th of July in the age of Trump. We talk now with David Croman. He is the city reporter for Crosscut, and he is joining us to talk about a story he wrote in March that is getting fresh attention this week about how employees at Seattle TV station Como are pushing back against their parent company, Sinclair, something that was discussed uh, on John Oliver's show last week tonight on Sunday. Uh, David Croman, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So in your article, you outline an editorial that Como was basically forced to run by Sinclair back in March that had a pretty hard right agenda to us uh, to it. Tell us about it. Yeah, so they got this sort of must run, as the Sinclair Corporation calls them. Um, essentially, they were mailed or sent this package um, from uh, the vice president of communications for Sinclair, Scott Livingston. Um, and the, the spot was, you know, it was sort of framed and set up like, uh, a new spot in a, in a way, like the the font below the screen was sort of similar, and he was standing in front of a green screen. And Scott Livingston gets up there, and he, he you know, I, I'm not going to be able to quote him exactly off the top of my head, but he sort of talks generally about the scourge of fake news and anonymous sources and unsubstantiated claims that the media were making. Um, you know, I mean, in, in that language, there's not necessarily, he never said against President Donald Trump or against any one particular party. Um, so they could still sort of make the claim that this was a straight down the middle caution. But, um, you know, the, the language that he used was was directly mimicking a lot of the language that President Trump has been using. And Sinclair, prior to this incident, had a sort of long history of championing far-right causes. They were the main organization behind the kind of swift boat John Kerry controversy. Um, and then there were a number of reports that had come out in, in the Washington Post and Politico about how there was, they had actually set up some kind of a deal with um, Jared Kushner to, to get more favorable coverage of Donald Trump. So the, the fact that Como sort of had to run this uh, was was really concerning, not just for viewers who eventually found out about it, but employees themselves. There were a lot of employees in Como who felt um, like this was really walking over their ability right. to have editorial ethics. And I want to talk about that in just a second, but I just want to get a little backstory on Como. Sinclair purchased Como in 2013. Uh, I know the station began as an NBC affiliate, but it, it is no longer. Uh, for people who maybe aren't familiar, did Como's broadcasting have a political leaning one way or the other before they were purchased by Sinclair? I mean, no. I mean, not not sort of in this capacity. They were owned by Fisher before this, and you know, I think that I think Fisher generally had a pretty good reputation for as, as ownership. I mean, one of the reactions I've been getting to this story about Sinclair is sort of a nostalgia for the days when they were owned by Fisher. So. Um, you know, obviously, every news organization is going to get accused of bias at some point, but um, it, it was never anything that that appeared so explicit. I was going to say this seems pretty overt. Uh, and as you mentioned, you talked to some Como staffers about their response. What specifically have they been saying? Well, I mean, sort of what I'd mentioned before, that um, they are trying to run a sort of journalistically sound shop. Um, 
And so, you know, even though this is not one of their reporters standing up there, just the fact that uh, they were sort of made to run this bit that had language that, you know, pretty pretty clearly aligned with some of the language that we hear from the far right, um, people were, were pretty upset about it, including their news director. Um, you know, he one thing that they did when they got this is they were supposed to run this uh, sort of every evening for a little while, but the, the, the Como employees did the best they could to kind of bury it. So, right. I, I actually believe John Oliver mentioned that uh, yeah, he on did. his show. Right. Well, and this, this piece was about 3.30 in the afternoon when, when there are not that many people actually watching the show. And the only reason that I knew it was coming is because I had gotten a tip from somebody who had a recent, a former employee of Como who had reached out to me and said, hey, you should turn on Como at 3.30 and look out for this thing. Wow. Well, so you say in your article that uh, journalists and other staffers at Como have been pushing back uh, against this. Specifically, what are they doing? Um, well, the so sort of specifically on the union side, they're they're hosting, they sort of are planning on hosting these sort of listening sessions and these sort of um, forums in both in Seattle, but also in uh, Portland, where and when you say it, union, you mean IATSE, which is the union for yeah, people exactly. who work behind the scenes, often in television. Yeah, so that's you know photographers, um, engineers, and so they're going to be sort of hosting these forums uh, where they talk about kind of bias in media and um, you know, and I, I think some of that is kind of more symbolic than substantive. Um, I'm sort of realizing now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're. The reality is they they have signed this contract with Sinclair, and they're in Como, especially is in really tough union negotiations with them right now. Um, Sinclair, I think, has a lot of leverage over Como. Um, they have just bought Q13, so which is a non-union shop. So, in some ways, what I'm hearing right now is uh, it has less to do with sort of bias in the coverage and more to do with um, people are worried just in general about what a future under Sinclair means for these two different television stations. Well, it seems like from a viewer standpoint that probably the best thing that people can do is just sort of be aware that this sort of thing is happening at their parent company. But you also talk in your piece about a new addition to the Como website, a quote unquote content concern button where viewers can report bias. Um, Have you talked to any staffers at the station since your piece ran to follow up to see what kind of response they've gotten to their bias button? I, I have been in touch with staffers at the station. I haven't actually, you know, to be honest, I haven't actually heard a ton about what they've been getting from that bias button. Um, my sense is that it's been sort of quiet, uh, which which they're happy about. But, I mean, the, the sort of implication of why it's there is pretty clear that Sinclair wants to keep an eye on what its stations are doing. And so they've put this there to have its viewers report directly back to the corporate station because obviously people in corporate aren't going to be able to watch every single piece from every single station. So there, I mean, there's a, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily being used in any particular way. And if it is right, I, you know, I don't know exactly how right now, but um, the, the implication is, is quite clear. And I think it, um, for a lot of people, they see it as a direct intimidation. Yeah. Well, it's definitely something that viewers of the station should be made aware of about what's going on behind the scenes with the parent company. Uh, So, David Crumman, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on.
So I have heard in person and on social media from a number of indivisible leaders across the state who have said that membership in their group is either stalled or dropping. Joe Colombo of Indivisible Puyallup has hit upon a pretty interesting strategy uh, for effectively recruiting new members to his Indivisible group. Uh, He worked this strategy out with member Otto Rogers, and I invited them both on to talk about it. I started by asking Joe if, prior to developing this new strategy, he had been having recruitment problems in his Indivisible group. Uh, Yeah, I think we just had a question of where do we find new members? Right. Uh, and I think that was the question. I mean, a lot of us were friends and friends of friends. So then it was where to go outside of that to recruit people that we don't know, but, uh, want to, you know, that are part of the cause that are also against Trump. So before you stumbled on your latest strategy, what were some of the other things that you had tried previously to recruit people? Uh, it was, it was basically a lot of brainstorming. It was what other groups are there in the area that we could possibly go talk to. Uh, I know we made up these little cards that you could hand out to people or put on people's windshields right. um, and then just talking with with friends. Is yeah. Really- and I think just to add to what Joe said, I think um, something that's kind of been uh, really successful, too, is kind of some of those when we do those picket things and you see cars driving by, they see the indivisible Puyallup logo and then they'll come talk to you and, you know, we'll join that way. That's been a pretty, pretty good response too in the last couple of months. So let's talk about what you have hit upon. Uh, You say, Joe, that the idea came from reading an article about a student walkout from a local community group on Facebook. So tell us about that. A little bit over a month ago at Puyallup High School, there was a walkout by a number of students. Uh, They were protesting a dress code that wasn't being properly uh, applied to all the students. Some of the women at the school uh, were being targeted and being told, you know, hey, your clothing choice is inappropriate and you need to go change. Mm. Uh, So some of those students did a walkout for the day, and one of the parents posted in a local group called Being Neighborly Puyallup uh, how she went down to the high school and told her daughter to get back into class. Uh, And from that post, what happened was there was an outpouring of support from the local Puyallup community of people that supported the student's choice to walk out and protest. And so from that, a light bulb went on, right? And you thought, aha, these people might actually potentially be uh, interested in getting involved with Indivisible, right? Uh, Yes. I figured if these people were going to be vocal online in the support of the students speaking up for themselves, I thought maybe they'd be interested in our group. So tell us how you went about approaching them. Did you message them uh, personally on, on Facebook? How'd you do it? I did. So I used Facebook Messenger and I went through the group to look at people who posted in support of the walkout and basically sent them a private message that says, hey, I know you don't know who I am, uh, but I saw your post in this group and there is another group in Puyallup that I think that you'd be interested in called Indivisible Puyallup. And that was it. Did you did you say anything about Indivisible or you just said, here's the link, check us out? Or what, what else did you say in the in the, the message? Uh, I basically said, here's the link, check us out. Uh, on Facebook, there is a description of our group. Uh, we are a closed group, but there is a description that's open to the public that people can read to know that we are a group that is against uh, Trump and Pence. And you had some pretty dramatic results right away. Tell us about it. We did. Uh, I would say that in about the first 24 hours, we had 25 new members join us. Which is a fantastic result right off the bat. Um, So I'm curious to know how you 
well, for want of a better term, how you uh, profiled potential members from their Facebook profiles. Um, obviously, anybody would say a uh, don't tread on me flag as their logo would be out. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, what were you looking for? Well, a lot of uh, a lot of people just in their timelines had anti-Trump uh, pictures or uh, things that they had posted. That's a tell. Also, absolutely. Big tell. Um, you could also go through their groups for the ones that made those public and see if they joined any uh, groups that were against Trump or in support of Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton. Um, and then there was a lot of people who had their profile picture that was tagged with, uh, like currently I know some people have their profile picture tagged with support for Pride Month. Um, a lot of the ladies in the group also had pictures from the Women's March where they were wearing their pussy hats. Right. So there you go. Well, so now, Otto, uh, let's bring you into the conversation. Okay. Uh, what have you been doing in terms of using this strategy to screen for potential members? I think, you know, me and Joe, we kind of work off each other. Joe would make a comment or make a post, and then people would like or favorite his comment. And then I would go in and look at, just quickly look at the profiles of everyone that either likes Joe's comment or likes other, you know, other, you know, what we think progressive comments. And I would just scroll through their, their likes, you know, anything they had public, like, so Joe was talking about the likes and, you know, just look for things that, you know, that are, are against Trump or, or progressive in nature. Like I stand with standing rock, um, you know, no to uh, liquid nitrogen gas things, things where people are being active and progressive and, and kind of protesting or interested in protesting. And then we see those. And then I send the, send those to Joe. And then Joe reaches out with, with kind of that, like, hey, this is the group. And, you know, would you like to join? So it's kind of a good kind of back and forth relationship. I kind of do some of the, you know, looking at through the profile. And Joe does the reaching out. And to be clear, these are groups that you both are members of, correct? Yes. Okay, so you mentioned Being Neighborly, and Being Neighborly is a group that has has a number of community groups uh, across the state, and I believe across the country. Mm -hmm. So that's a place to start. What are some other groups that you have discovered potential members on? Well, I know locally I've gone to some of the uh, local media groups, like the Tacoma News Tribune, whenever they post a Facebook uh, news article. I'll go through the comments and look for people who are, you know, post things progressive in nature. Uh, Otto had a great suggestion. He recommended the Puyallup Rocks and Tacoma Rocks, which are the groups about where people paint rocks and then hide them around uh, the area for people to find. I have never heard of that. That is really, really cool. Um, There was a post in the Puyallup Rocks about, like, uh, coloring pride rocks. Oh, okay. Okay, I was like, okay. So maybe we might be able to find some people here and, and you know, I, I would look through their profiles and and see if they're, you know, interested. And then, you know, I would reach out to them. Um, and I think we had one join from Bayern Lake, um, you know, that had posted like, you know, a very progressive response to that. And, and also, um, let's see, there's other groups. I joined other groups, which and one of the groups was uh, Citizens Against Trump. Now, what's interesting about that group is. When you ask to join, they they ask you questions, so you have to answer you have to answer questions to why you want to join the group, and right. and we hadn't had that in our group, and so we, we were able to implement that, so that that kind of helps us if we if we're not one hundred percent sure, 
you know, who you are. If you answer these questions, it helps us make that determination, you know, if you're okay, if, if this is the right group for you or not. Right. And I think a lot of times they're trying to screen for bots or they're trying right. to, yeah, so things like that. Yeah. Uh, but really what this is encouraging people to do, I think, is kind of use your imagination. Go out and see what sorts of community groups are out there. Or, Joe, like you say, community newspapers also have uh, Facebook groups and pages and things like that where, you know, people will leave comments. So uh, have you gotten any pushback? Has anybody taken issue with you sort of messaging them out of the blue? You know, funny enough, nobody has complained. Huh. They've all been extremely positive with uh, with a complete stranger reaching out to them. <laughs> well, okay, so now let's, uh, we've saved the best for last. Tell us what your results have been uh, percentage-wise in terms of membership increase since you've started implementing this new strategy. I would say in the last month, we've had over a 20% increase in membership to our Facebook group. Wow, that is fantastic, uh, and I think that'll be music to the ears of a lot of indivisible leaders and members who do outreach for those groups uh, across the state who are looking to bring in some new people into the fold. So uh, great idea, guys. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, Joe Colombo and Otto Rogers, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks, thanks so much. Thanks for having us. So this is usually the time where I do our call to action along with our dose of good news. But for this week, I'm hoping that you'll just indulge me for a moment for just a couple of quick thoughts. Uh, And actually, I will lead with some good news. Uh, The good news is that our country, America, recently turned 241 years old. Now, you, like me, were maybe a little ambivalent or worse about uh, celebrating the 4th of July this year. And, you know, fair enough. I mean, we are at a juncture where things feel pretty dark for a lot of people here, and we're not really sure just when things are going to improve. Uh, I found myself looking for a film for solace, uh, one that made me feel proud to be an American. Uh, I wound up settling on the HBO production of Angels in America, which is just fantastic. I also listened to some music, specifically some of my favorite jazz albums, because, well, you know, I feel like jazz is the one music form that is 100% American. Plus, I was just in the mood for some Coltrane. So there you go. Uh, In any event, I also happened to find an opinion piece by Eugene Robinson in The Washington Post in which he talks about how our institutions must continue to push back against Trump in accordance with our founders' design to bring to heel an out-of-control executive. He also calls on the role of American citizens in all of this. And uh, those of you listening are acutely aware of the role that we have to play here. But Robinson concludes by saying, quote, the 4th of July is no day for despair. It is a day to remember that our system, though vulnerable to a charlatan such as Trump, is robust and resilient. Eventually, he will be tossed out or voted out and the star spangled banner yet will wave. I I needed to hear those words. Uh, I have included a link to the piece for you to check out on the SoundCloud page. And, you know, speaking of the flag, the fourth is a time when people from across the political spectrum are out waving and wearing and celebrating our flag. I am not the first one to suggest this, certainly. But what do you say we take back the flag and start displaying it prominently at our events, our rallies and our protests? Because I think that you'll agree with me here. Dissent is what the Founding Fathers asked of us. Dissent is patriotic, man. And that makes us, members of the Indivisible Movement, real, true patriots. So, happy 4th to you and yours, and happy birthday, America. 
We got your back. And that will do it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. Please do continue to hit me up with thoughts, suggestions, all that good stuff. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, the email address is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Thank you again to Joe Colombo and Otto Rogers. And also thank you to Crosscuts, David Croman. And thanks especially to you for listening. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.